Transform the way you hunt with the all-new Bay Cellular Trail Camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast brought to you by Tacticam. This podcast aims to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters, brushing up on essential skills, maybe just adding a few new tactics to the toolkit. We cover a variety of topics that will help you be more confident and successful in the field while hunting deer. It is now late July, early August. It's a great time to be doing some digital scouting, great time to be hanging some tree stands. Uh, And one big topic that can really help you out is understanding thermals and their impact on the wind currents. That can help you uh, take your scouting and your stand site selection to the next level. Thermals can really make or break a hunt. Not only do they influence how deer move across the landscape, but hunting with thermals in mind can be the difference between you watching whitetails bound off through the timber or getting a chip shot at your target. But thermals can be tough to understand and predict. And so this week uh, on the How to Hunt Deer podcast, I'm talking with Eric Ives of the Red Bearded Predators uh, YouTube channel for a little Thermals 101. Eric hunts the hill country of southwestern Wisconsin, so he's no stranger to thermals, how they impact your hunting setups, and how deer use them to their advantage. So in this episode, we're going to be talking all things thermals. We're going to get into the weeds on a couple of different topics. Eric does a fantastic job of kind of giving an introduction to thermals. And now next week, we're going to be talking about thermal hubs with Parker McDonald of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. So you won't want to miss that one either. These two episodes kind of go together with one another. Uh, Before we jump into the meat and potatoes today, though, I do want to say a big thanks to our partners. First of all, Tacticam, title sponsor of this show. I've just gotten my Reveal X Gen 2 cameras out, and uh, man, I absolutely love these cameras. I was doing some testing, actually, uh, earlier today and checking out the range on these cameras. And, uh, you know, lots of different cameras say, hey, we've got a, you know, a 75-foot range or a 90-foot range or whatever that is. And that sounds really impressive. But what you'll find in some lesser quality cameras is that, yeah, they may have a really great range on the edge of a food plot, but their range is more limited when you're in a timber setting. So I went out this afternoon, did some walking around in front of my Reveal X Gen 2 cameras just to see, hey, how far can it catch me through thick brush? And I was blown away. These cameras were catching me walking through some really thick stuff at a good distance. And what that means is that I'm going to have more and better intel to be able to make good hunting decisions come this fall. Go check those cameras out. You can find them at Tacticam.com, RevealCellCam.com. Next up, Deer Lab, the number one app for folks who want to keep track of their deer herd, manage their property, hunt their property. Uh, Deer Lab does a fantastic job storing all of your photos in one place. Uh, I'm looking forward to beginning uploading more as we get here later into the summer. I took a little bit of a break, had a move going on, and so uh, didn't have a ton of cameras out, but really looking forward to uh, beginning to feed a lot more of this intel that I'm getting into Deer Lab and putting together some specific profiles and picking out a couple of bucks that I'm going to be chasing around this fall. Head over to DeerLab.com, get your free trial started, and when you're ready to purchase, you can use the code HUNTDEER, all caps, for 20% off of any plan. 
Finally, Huntworth. Uh, man, I have been blown away by this camo. I was actually out wearing my short sleeve Huntworth shirt today uh, while I was checking out these trail cameras. Kept me nice and cool. Uh, pumped about their backpacks as well. I've started playing around, kind of seeing, okay, how am I going to carry my saddle and sticks and gear and camera arm and all that stuff into the woods this year. Uh, their packs are fantastic. You can put way more stuff into the bigger pack than I ever thought that you could. Be looking on Instagram at the Wisconsin Sportsman to see some pics of that coming up of how I'm going to be packing my gear using these packs uh, coming up. Head over to HuntworthGear.com. Check them out. Big thanks to those partners. Head over and check them out. I don't think you'll be disappointed with any of the products that you pick up from the brands that support this show. Now let's jump in and hear from Eric Ives as we talk all about thermals. Joining me for this week's episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast is Eric Ives of the Red Bearded Predators YouTube channel from southern Wisconsin. What's going on, Eric? Oh, nothing too much. Uh, just enjoying this beautiful day in southern Wisconsin. Haven't had too many, I don't know, 75, lower 80 type today, degree days with this little humidity. It's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. Dude, everybody I've been talking to from Wisconsin has been like, we're melting. We're melting. This is not good. This is too hot. We can't handle it. It's been a... Yeah, no, it's been beautiful. Like last night I got out, took care of some trail cameras because I thought it was supposed to be was 75 degrees out yesterday. I'm like, got to take advantage of this I can. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. For sure. Well, Eric, why don't you kick things off by telling us a bit about uh, yourself and kind of your hunting situation, where you spend time chasing whitetails? Gotcha. So... Like Josh said, I am in uh, southern Wisconsin, uh, kind of the driftless area of Wisconsin. And I moved to this area about uh, six, seven years ago because I just love the hills down here. Absolutely love the hills, love the terrain, love the challenge of trying to uh, read thermals and whatnot. However, uh, throughout my, uh, I don't know what to call it, hunting career, quotes, um, I started grow. I grew up in northeastern Wisconsin, actually from Green Bay originally, and hunted the big woods up there. Uh, that was a challenge growing up. Back then, we were just hunting trails. None of this uh, media with like Dan Impal, Andre DeQuisto, and whatnot. That, that wasn't out at that time period. So we were just trying to figure it out on our own with what we knew, and uh, moved to southeastern Wisconsin. Lived there for. A while ended up hunting down there. Really good deer down there, but the pressure is very high in that part of the state. And that's why I ended up deciding to move towards uh, southwestern Wisconsin, where there's a little bit less people. <laughs> Man, so I, I gotta know when you were growing up hunting, uh, sort of the big wood setting, right? Yeah. And you're hunting on these trails and stuff. When you first started hearing about the Dan and Falls and the Andre DeQuistos of the world, did you think that they were crazy? Because I did. Um, at first, yes. But then I ended up buying a couple DVDs. I think it was uh, one of the first DVDs I bought was Blood Brother Outdoors. I think Dan Infault was on it. Jared Irady, I think, was his name. And uh, there's one other guy. I don't remember his name. But uh, after started listening to some of the theories and whatnot and um, going out and testing these theories for myself, it started making sense as time went on. So yeah, then, then, then it started to hold some weight with me. Yeah. Did you start 
to put some of those things into practice in the big woods or was that mostly in Southern Wisconsin when you were? Uh, that, that was uh, East central and Southwestern Wisconsin when I started uh, experimenting with those ideas. And I, I found those DVDs and whatnot in, in Andre and Dan about 10, 12 years ago where before it started becoming a, a real big thing. So, um, yeah. So yeah, that's where I've experimented with those. And I do see some of that stuff in the big woods too. Um, cause I, that's where I tend to gun hunt is up north still. Cause it's just a tradition that we like to do. So yeah. I, I, I see all these scenarios play out in all sorts of different habitats across the state. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so being in the Southwestern portion of the state, uh, that gives you a lot of time to think about thermals and to witness how thermals act. Um, but even I think hunting in some, you know, marsh country, farm country, that kind of stuff where, where I'm used to hunting, thermals are really important and they play a bigger role. I think often than we realize, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I recorded an episode with Parker McDonald from the Southern ground hunting podcast. And uh, we were talking a lot about thermal hubs and how bucks use thermal hubs, uh, specifically during the rut to kind of, scent check where all the does are bedding and that kind of thing. And it was during that conversation, Parker mentioned something and I realized, wow, I, I really need to have a conversation about thermals first to even begin to understand thermal hubs. So I haven't aired that episode yet because I was like, I've got to get somebody on who knows what they're talking about when it comes to thermals, because I didn't have time to talk about it in that episode. I would not consider myself a thermal hub or a thermals expert by any stretch of the imagination. Um, a lot of my hunting has been in the deep south, flat ground. Uh, a lot of it was in Louisiana and then moved to Wisconsin and have been pretty much hunting flat ground there as well. So it's like, man, I'm not an authority. So I've got to get somebody on who understands them uh, a bit to kind of explain even to me how thermals really work. So can you give me just a quick rundown of thermals and how we can expect them to work given the kind of terrain that we're hunting? Yeah, no, I think the easiest way to understand thermals down to the most basic thing is hot air rises, cold air sinks, right? It's simple as that. Um, for instance, in a marsh in the early season, when the water is cooler than the air, the air will sink to that water because that's obviously that cold air will suck that down. And for the instance, if we're, you know, comparing that to the hills and whatnot, um, are using that in the hills, um, your cold air will sink towards those creeks because that's where the cold air is going to. However, when the daylight uh, or sun comes up, that's when your thermals start to shoot up. So it's just knowing when you're going to have hot air and when you're going to have cold air. And as the day cools, those will sink. Then as uh, warm air and sunlight comes up, your thermals will go up as, as heat yeah. uh, happens throughout the day. Yeah, I, I had a spot, and really when I started getting interested in this, because like I said, I've hunted mostly flat ground. When I started getting interested in thermals was I realized I had this spot that I was hunting. It was pretty flat, but I was hunting a, a little like knoll area. It was a... It was just higher than the rest of what was around, not by yep. very much at all. But I realized that if I could get past that, like, 
7.30 in the morning time frame, deer could come from any direction and not bust me. Like, I was absolutely bulletproof. Now, if they came in early, like right at first light, I'd get busted. But if they came in later than that, I was bulletproof. And I was like, that's got to be this thermal stuff going on. So I I really want to understand it better. So, all right, hot air rises, cold air sinks. Walk me through, and you mentioned it's it's all about knowing basically whether the air is going to be hot or cold and what it's doing. Walk me through sort of the different factors that all come into play to influence the heating and cooling of air. Yeah. Well, there's so many different factors when it comes to thermals. You got to consider sky conditions. You got to consider foliage on the tree. You got to consider what's the wind doing on that day. Is it going to be a strong wind? Is it going to be a light wind? Um, Considering you know, if there's going to be cloud cover or straight sun sunshine, um, I'm just trying to think of anything else, uh, which if I'm hunting a creek bottom or something like that, is the creek going to be cold? Is the creek going to be warm? Is even for le- if you're hunting alongside a lake or a marsh with like a lake within the interior, um, is it going to be during the summer? Is it going to be cooler or, or early fall? Is that going to be cooler than what it is going to be later in the year? So there's so many different factors, and each habitat type uh, can play the, play a little bit differently. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So it's 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 pretty situational. I mean, do you mm-hmm. see consistencies across the board, or is this this kind of something that you've really just got to get to know your ground really intimately to kind of really unlock? Yeah, I would say the basics are pretty much the same wherever you go. Um, however, there can be slight variation depending on the ground that you're hunting. For example, uh, the hills of southwestern Wisconsin, they're a little bit more extreme and steep compared to like the uh, moraines of uh, Kettle Moraine um, type uh, state park area. I'm not sure if you, anyone's familiar with that or the Chippewa Moraine, where there's a lot more gradual, gradual to the hills. It's not so steep or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, kind of rolling. So, yeah, yeah, if that makes sense. Um, so I, I think, you know, for instance, in southwestern Wisconsin, where it's a little bit more steep, um, things can be more predictable. Where you get in those gradual um, slopes of like any uh, moraines, the Kettle Moraine and whatnot, your windows start to swirl a little bit more and become less predictable. Okay. And thermal, okay. thermal too. How does um, how does precipitation impact thermals? Is that and I mean I know that like cloud cover is going to keep the ground from warming, so the air is not going to warm up as much. But like if it rained the night before and then boom, the sun comes out. Like is that water on the ground going to influence the thermals or how does that work? Um. It, it depends how much rain you get, I would okay. say. Okay. Um, for instance, say if it's a big soaker, your thermals may suck down for a lot longer than if it's just a light, brief rain. Um, it de- depends how long it stays damp for. Um, so that's that's how could that, that could factor. However, you know, you look at something like snow cover, that's throwing a whole another wrench into things because 
the ground may be colder, so your thermals may 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 sink because the ground's colder than what the air is. So it depends on the precipitation you're talking about. Oh man, okay, all right. <laughs> there are like 38 <laughs> rabbit holes we could go down right now, and I'm not we sure which down. one we want to go. We're, yeah, we're gonna try sticking with the basics. So, oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So there there's so many different factors. All right, so talk with me a little bit about thermals and, and kind of flatter ground. And this is, this is totally, uh, totally selfish on my point, because this is kind of what I'm hunting. I'm hunting a lot of ag ground with marsh and then, you know, oaks obviously on the outside of the marshy area and then ag ground. So how do I need to be thinking about the way thermals are going to work? Let's say out in a, in a soybean or cornfield, uh, as compared to underneath that thick, heavy canopy as a compared to out in the marsh. Yeah, that, that that's a good way that we could approach this conversation is by, by going kind of the basics of each habitat type. So we could go over, you know, farms first. Um, so in farms, bucks tend to buy bed at the lowest spot in an, or towards the lowest spot in the egg field or in the highest spot. reason they tend to bed up on the higher spots in farm country so they have a visual of the farm. They can see what's coming into that field, what's coming out of that field. Then the other spot that they tend to bed in is the lowest spot spot in fields in egg country. Um, the reason they do that is because um, early in the morning, that's where all the, all the thermals are. That cold air sinking towards the bottom of that field. Then in the evening too, all those thermals are sinking towards the bottom of the field. And that's where they tend to enter fields, especially the mature bucks. They come in the low, low spots because they can smell everything that's on like those uh, top parts of the field, the, the, the top parts of the ridges in the field. They can smell everything coming down in, in those holes that they're bedded in. Um, it's very similar with the marshes and whatnot where, you know, they're, they're bedding in these marshes, uh, on these little high dry spots and all the thermals are sinking towards their bed. You can even have uh, opposite wind direction that's going away from their bed. However, the last 15 minutes of the day, the thermals will actually start sinking towards their bed and it can get busted that way. Even if you think you're playing the wind correctly. And another thing, especially in the early season, like I said, that uh, water in the marsh around the cattails and whatnot will sink will sink your smell right right into the marsh. That's why you just have to play it right, like Josh is talking about, it, where sometimes you can be not busted at all if you're playing them right, or you're going to be busted every single time. So, yeah, hopefully that made some sense. Yeah, man, absolutely. So, all right, so we're we're talking kind of farms and marsh there. Now let's let's touch mm-hmm. on uh, big timber, like maybe even early season big timber when, you know, before leaves are falling off or right as, right as leaves are starting to fall off. Um, it's a lot cooler underneath those, uh, underneath those big trees, right? So how, yeah. how, are we, how are we thinking about thermals in bigger timber? So in, in big woods, I tend to gravitate towards water still. Okay. That's just the style that I like to hunt. Um, I like to hunt towards, uh, uh, beaver ponds, uh, big wood marshes and swamps and whatnot. 
and the thermals work the same way because um, as night progresses, those thermals just get sucked to the water the same way because that cool water um, sucks all your thermals down toward that water. It's the same same concept, just in a different area, um, if that makes sense. However, that may change, say, if I'm hunting big wood ridges where deer are using more of a hill country setup where they're bedding off points and whatnot, um, they may use it similar to hill country down here in southwestern Wisconsin, but it's just not as extreme with hills. A rise maybe 10 foot or so um, where they still cruise like the top third of that ridge in big wood type setups where you're you're still getting that thermal tunnel effect. And I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this podcast have listened to Dan Infall talk about um, that thermal tunnel effect. And it, it happens... It happens even in 10-foot rises. It doesn't have to be as extreme as the hills down here in southern Wisconsin or southwestern Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about two different things. Um, one is when the thermals, like how you think about thermals in relationship to the, the wind direction for the day and how you're trying mm-hmm. to set up with that. And the second is how in the world are you compensating knowing that, man, your wind and everything is perfect until that last 15 minutes, which is when you're going to kill the buck if he, if he is there. So talking first about, you know, the wind direction for the day and thermals, are you trying to make sure that they're working in concert with one another? Or are there times when you're, when you're risking it and you're, you're going to go in and, and knowing that there may be a time when that spot's just going to be burned? Yeah, I think with thermals and whatnot, I, I feel like you could be burned at any time. You get one wind swirl, you get one thing that you didn't plan on happening, just kick your wind. I, I think the best thing that a person can do is just make an educated guess on that base, uh, on that day based off of what they know on that day. That's why when picking out a tree during you know, spring scouting or, or uh, postseason scouting, tend to pick out an area instead of a tree. Yeah. Cause on that day, you know, you can go in there and have, you know, the tree and some, something may have changed. Maybe the water level have changed. Uh, maybe the foliage is making a difference in how, uh, wind and thermals are working. So I usually don't make a decision until that day of, uh, what tree I'm going to set up in. Okay. Are you going in, uh, with anything like um, milkweed or anything like that, either while you're scouting or while you're hunting to try to like get an idea of it? Like, are you, are you basically wind mapping these properties or how, how are you working that? Yeah. So every, every time I hunt, I make sure I have milkweed. I, uh, I, I feel like that's, that's a great thing to use. And yes, I, in the, when I postseason scout, I go in there with milkweed. However, even if you postseason scout, you still won't know until that day that you hunt yep. of what the thermals and the wind, what the combination is going to do to that spot. Cause he, each day can be completely different from spot to spot. So, yeah. And how are you trying to compensate for like, are, are you taking into consideration like, okay, I know I'm good right now, but I know that last 15 minutes of light, that last 30 minutes of light, my thermals are going to shift. So I'm going to be, you know, 25 yards this direction. 
because of that? Yeah. Or because I mean, there there are times when it's like this is the spot that I need to be, and if I'm not here, I'm not going to kill him. And that may not be the best spot for your thermals. Like you may be taking a bigger risk. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just go to that example. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll pretend that we're hunting a marsh right now. All right. And we got a north to south facing um, island. And a buck is bedded off uh, the south tip of the island. For instance, say if we had a west wind on that day. I would try and set up on like the west, the western side uh, of our, sorry, the eastern side of that island to make sure at least the wind is blowing towards that direction. And what I try and do is kind of be in the interior of the island. I, I try and stay out of the marsh because once you get in the marsh and on that edge, you'll start to get some wind swirl because you're right on that edge. Um, so yeah, I tend to set up if I can somewhere on the Island itself, just so I don't have that wind swirl. Um, for, and then for example, say if we had an East wind, I would set up on the West side of the Island. So my, my wind and my thermals are going to go down the other way. However, I tend to stay away from the, the complete edge of the Island because you'll get a wind swirl in there. I try and stay a little bit on the Island. And uh, something that I I heard, uh, I don't know who said it, but trying to make sure that I can always shoot if it's an oak island to that first oak coming up onto the island. That way, you know, the deer just doesn't get stuck there and you run out of time on that deer. So that's something that I also consider, you know, the, the food source. But we're not talking about food sources today or anything. Oh, but that. That's good though. That's good because my next question plays directly into that. So let's say, um, you, you know, there's that first dropping Oak, you know, that, that, you know, that you need to get to, you suspect that the buck is bedded there on that Southern end of the Island. And you've got that Western wind for the most part. If you think your thermals are going to get you in trouble at the end of daylight, will you play it more conservative or are you still going to be super aggressive and push in as far as you can to that oak tree? Uh, me, I'm, I'm aggressive. Um, okay. I'm as aggressive as it gets. It's just my style. It might not work for that way for everyone else. But uh, I, I, like I was telling uh, Josh before we started recording, um, I put on about 200 mile, miles a year on the boot. So I've got spot after spot. And if I screw up on a deer, I'll just move to the next one. So. Um, so it's one of those things I'm aggressive full time, um, uh, pretty much as Matt with floor from the green Bay set Packers says, uh, all gas and no break. So that's pretty <laughs> much, pretty much how I hunt. So the how to hunt deer podcast is brought to you by Tacticam makers of the best action cameras on the market for the hunter and angler. They're on the cutting edge, making user friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. They also just launched the Reveal X Gen 2 cell camera that provides top-notch photo and video quality at a price point that's in reach for the everyday outdoorsman. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried filming your hunting and fishing excursions, you know how frustrating it can be to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of accessories. 
This fall, I'll be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 5.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and to check out their full line of products, head over to their website, www.tacticam.com and share your hunt with Tacticam. This episode is also brought to you by Deer Lab, the number one trail camera management app for hunters and land managers. Deer Lab gives you a simple way to store, organize, and analyze all of your trail camera data. Deer Lab has tons of great features like the ability to filter photos based on what's in them, like deer or turkeys or people. It syncs your photos with local weather to help you pattern your target. And you can even mass edit your timestamps, which is a great feature if you're like me, and occasionally you forget to set the right time and date on the camera before you set it out. Head over to www.deerlab.com to check them out. Use the code HUNTDEER, all caps, at checkout for 20% off of any plan. Now let's get back to the show. So there, there are two, um, I guess, directions now where we really need to think about thermals. We've kind of been hitting on one, you know, that piece of how, yeah. how, do, how do thermals disperse our scent, uh, especially in unexpected ways, like, like ways that we didn't intend for them to. Uh, yeah. And then how... How do bucks in particular use thermals to their advantage? So maybe talking a little bit about um, about how these deer are using um, are using these thermals to their advantage. What are some of the things that you see consistently across the board, especially when it comes to bucks? Like how are they setting up, doing things like bedding or feeding or moving around or you know cruising ridges during during the rut or checking scrapes, that kind of stuff. How are they? How do you see them using thermals to their advantage? So what I'm seeing during the rut and how bucks are using thermals is um, I'm sure everybody's heard about Dan and Fulton the the thermal thermal tunnel. And if we go down that path, the thermal tunnel can change like from minute to minute to hour to hour. It it really can change like um, all the factors that we stated earlier with cloud cover, precipitation, wind speed. Um, I think if we go down that path, uh, let's just focus on wind and thermals. I sure. guess would be a, a good starting point. Sure. Um, so when bucks are cruising during the rut, you got thermal pull when the sun comes up, hits the ridge, and those are shooting up the hill. Then you got the wind coming over the leeward side, and you get that thermal tunnel effect. That can change where it go, where that thermal thermal tunnel is happening based off the wind speed. Say if you have a lighter wind speed, that uh, thermal tunnel will be higher up on the ridge. Like a calm day, the zero to five mile an hour wind, wind, it might be higher up on the ridge. However, if you get a day where it's 15, 20, 25 mile an hour wind, that thermal tunnel will drop lower on the ridge. So they'll be cruising lower on the ridge. Uh, like uh, five to five to fifteen, they might be cruising that top third that you're you're anticipating that they're setting up on. Um, so that that's kind of how that plays out during the rut, if that makes sense. Yeah. So lower wind speed, higher they're going to be cruising on the ridge. Moderate wind speed, they'll probably be close to that top third. Stronger the wind speed they'll be cruising the ridges a little bit lower down lower to the bottom, man. That's good. That yeah. that's really good actually. Cause that has some direct, especially for folks in, in larger Hills who can't shoot top to bottom. Uh, that yeah. really plays into, uh, into how they are, um, and how you're going to set up for the day. Let, let's talk a little bit about 
uh, scrapes. One of the one of the ways that I have really, um, or one of the things that I have really honed in on uh, here over the last couple of years, especially when hunting in Wisconsin, is scrapes. I, I didn't hunt scrapes a lot in the South just because we didn't see a lot of daylight activity on scrapes. It just didn't happen. And then I get here to Wisconsin, I put a bunch of cameras up on scrapes, and it's like, oh, my goodness, that last week of October and then, you know, like second week of November, they may not be checking the scrapes, but they're there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So how do you see, like, do you see con- a consistent thing in, like, you know, bucks like to make scrapes in areas where the thermals do this, or they like to use the thermals to wind check them, or how, what do you see? Yeah. So that's interesting. Uh, so during the rut, like I, I was telling Josh, I hunt a lot more in southwestern Wisconsin here. And so I, I, I focus on scrapes that last week in October, October, that typical time period. Um, and I see scrapes in primarily in two different areas. I see them way up on top of the ridge, like very, toward the very tippy top of the ridge. And I see the scrapes down in those um, thermal hubs that uh, Josh and Parker talked about in, uh, I believe it's going to be an upcoming episode. Yep. So that's, that's the two primary areas where I see like those community type scrapes. Okay. Gotcha. And are you, yep. are you pushing in, uh, tight on these scrapes or are you, are you playing back off of them a bit? Um, within bull range of the scrapes, you know, okay. that 30, 35 yard range at minimum. Um, and there's certain times where I target those thermal hub scrapes. Um, times where I target the thermal hub scrapes is anytime I have like an overcast foggy type day where the air feels heavy, where the air will be sinking just because the air is so heavy and the wind's calm. So you don't got to worry about your wind swirling in that bottom. Another time where I hunt um, thermal hubs, and I'm sure you and Parker will talk about this, is anytime you have uh, a valley that's wide enough where you can get a consistent wind to shoot down the valley. Okay. Um, are two situations where I tend to hunt thermal hubs. And the third situation is where it's completely calm and the sun's out and my thermals are just shooting straight up. Yeah. Like, but those, those days are rare. Yeah. Those days are rare. Um, then up on ridges, when do I hunt those? Um, I, I tend to try and, hunt those scrapes whenever I have leeward type conditions where you have the wind coming over the top and you got that thermal hub coming up and that's when I tend to hunt those scrapes. Yeah. So So you're getting, you're getting not only the, the scrape is there and you know that the bucks are possibly coming in to check that scrape, but you're Mm -hmm. also getting some cruising on that leeward side uh, of the ridge in that thermal tunnel and set up there, I'm guessing is going to be, is going to be determined by not only the scrape, but also the wind, velocity for the day uh whether yep. you know are they going to be cruising up top or are they going to be cruising down low given what we yeah. talked about a second ago yeah and another factor that we haven't even talked talked about is like the vegetation edge too like and how that's going to affect the the thermals and whatnot because on those uh edges and, and whatnot that that plays in a, a factor of how the the wind currents and whatnot are going to are going to move too. So, and sometimes you can use that to your advantage where they're just cruising the edge of that vegetation rather than the, the, the thermal tunnel. Like I, I've seen that play out too. 
Um, but I bet you there still is a, a little bit of a thermal tunnel in those edge breaks, if that makes sense, because you're getting kind of that, that spinny type stuff um, from the wind blowing over the, bit, the, the, the thicker vegetation and it's still creating um, that thermal tunnel in the more open vegetation, if that makes sense. Yep. Yep. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So with these thermal hubs during the rut and, and given what, what the, uh, what the thermals are doing, typically dropping down those valleys, are you trying to access low? Are you coming in high? Is it just dependent on well, I tend time to hump public land, so it's wherever I can get access from. Um, yeah, but what I tend to look for okay. yeah. um, yep. for accessing those is I try and actually, believe it or not, hunt close to roads in those type of situations. Um, cause I, they're used to human scent or coming up off like, um, lakes or whatever, um, where I can get away with a little bit more on coming up from the bottom. But, uh, sometimes I do have to come up from the top because that's where the only access will allow me. So it's like, well, whatever the public land access, wherever I can access from is, is kind of where I come from, I guess, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not one of the guys that's going to say, you know what, instead of walking that 300 yards straight to where I want to be, yeah, I'm going to make a three mile loop all the way around. Uh, I've, I've done that too. <laughs> it's a, I've done it's that coming too. from the other way. Like it's, it, it, okay. it's wherever, like for instance, I, I hunt some landlocked pieces where you only have one option to access a spot. Like you don't have a choice. So it's like, um, yeah, it depends where and if I have the ability to do the mile loop or two mile loop, I will do that two mile loop because that has paid off for me in the past. So, so okay, yeah, so. gotcha. So we 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 know that bucks like to use the thermals to their advantage. Now, how much they're thinking about the thermals, who knows? I I think all they know yeah. is I can smell a whole bunch of stuff here, and I like that because uh, it feels safe. And I know where the does are. Have you come across any ways? Because really, I mean, when it comes to the conversation around thermals, a lot of it centers on how bad they are for us as hunters, basically. Like, like they're just they're just yeah. bad for us all the time. They're going to get us. Uh, they they almost yeah. uh, they betray us right at the worst moments. It's like right after sunup. It's like oh, we're going to switch now. We're going to mess up your your thing here or. Right before sundown, it's like, oh, now the deer are coming out, so I'm going to switch and mess everything up for you. So when it comes to what you've seen as far as how bucks use thermals to their advantage, have you found ways that you're like, I know I can use the thermals to trick this guy into thinking he's got Oh, absolutely. He's absolutely. safe when he's not. Um, Let, let's cover some of those and maybe, maybe give some examples yeah. with these because that's the part that really intrigues me is – is man, they can feel like they're safe and like they're covered, um, which I think is going to just produce yeah, really good no, outcomes absolutely. when it comes to trying to um, hunt those deer. First example I'm I'm going to go over is uh, southwestern Wisconsin example. Um, you got a cliffside, and they can only get so close to that cliff. Where if I can somehow manage to get my butt up the cliff, no matter how steep it is. 
like those have been prime opportunities because they think they can smell everything, but you're got your stand right, you know, one, two feet right off that cliffside, your wind's blowing over. I mean, they can't bust you no matter what they do. And it's so steep and it's so steep that yeah, okay. you can't get that thermal pull back up the hill because your sense just going right off the cliff, if that makes sense. Yeah, gotcha. and another one yeah, that I can yeah, think of sure. uh, was a hunt uh, probably about three or four years ago. Um, and this is more of an early season type scenario is uh, what ended up happening. Buck was bedding off a point, had um, leeward bedding conditions off that point, And I did a big loop around him and I came down and I anticipated where he was going to come through and I ended up crossing his trail like way down the ridge where he went smell my ground scent until way after dark and I came up from the valley and I set up below the trail he would be accessing the field or the apple trees that he was uh, feeding on and I made sure set up below that trail however my thermals were, were still coming at off the hill, probably about uh, probably about five six p.m. They started sinking, so it's like I I, I knew they were going to go up the hill just to start off the hunt, but as it started getting more towards you know that five six seven you know towards that evening time period, they would start sinking, and that buck he came off that point and. Uh, he was using that, that heavy trail towards those apple trees. And I set up just below that trail and I was able to get a 12 yard shot at that deer because he thought he was bulletproof and he thought he was entering that field and those apple trees at in the lowest point. However, I was just 15 minutes, yards uh, below the trail where he thought he was bulletproof. But uh, yeah, I beat him at his own game. However, I didn't execute uh, wow. a 12 yard wow. shot. <laughs> yeah oh no yeah, oh no but uh yeah that, that's how i beat him at his own game just oh, wow. uh you know early season setting below setting up below their trails uh anticipating that they're gonna try and get below you but they can't so yeah man that that's a gutsy move too to go in and be like mm-hmm. i know that if he gets yep. up early i'm busted you know what I mean? Like, like I know this is not going to be good for me yeah. unless he's moving in that last 30 minutes or so of, of daylight. Like, I don't know that a lot of folks yeah. are going to try to be that aggressive. Um, h- how was your, how was your wind uh, right. on that specific day? Did you have a good wind? Like was yeah. the wind good Before for you, but the thermals were kind of working against that, it? I, I have one quick point. Um, on that day. Um, sure. Or on that setup. That was, uh, the ridge was facing where the, the sun would be hitting the ridge or the, the shade, the, the shadow of the ridge would be coming first. It, it wasn't, um, what that be a, a West facing ridge. It was an East facing ridge. So the sun was like setting first. So I had a little bit more time to, to, to play with, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So gotcha. So you're that's going to start cooling off and the thermals are going to start to shift there yeah. before anywhere else. That's, that's yeah. another great yeah. thing to keep in mind when you're thinking about your setup. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Like you said, something to keep in mind. It might help someone. Uh, what was your question before that? Uh, yeah. Sorry. I was just curious about the wind direction on that day. Was it, was it working against the thermals? Was it just kind of a, a totally different direction? How was yeah. the wind working that day? Yeah. I remember that day really well. Uh, so I was debating whether to go in and hunt that deer um, or not because the wind was so light that day. Uh, I think the wind was anywhere between two and four miles an hour that day, maybe a little bit lighter. But I said, hey, why not? We'll throw a sit at it. I believe in it. Um, and uh, ended up going in. And I wanted to set up actually closer to that buck, but I figured with it being that calm and it was only getting calmer as the night progressed, closest I could get was 150 yards on that buck. Wow. Okay. Otherwise, he would have heard me accessing that. No doubt, no doubt at all. Um, but but the thermals before they they went down on the ridge were shooting pretty much straight up the hill because uh, because of how light the winds yeah. were. I, I need that sun to set in order to get those to drop down the hill. Okay. What time of year was that? Was this? Are we talking October, early October, or? Yeah, that was early October. Okay. When that all right. Was. So still, still some leaf cover. Uh, on the trees, yeah. but, but still a buck moving 150 yards from his bed early October. Was that on public land too? Yeah, that was on public That's land. That's not supposed to happen. That's what the hunting media tells me <laughs> doesn't happen. Bucks don't move in October until the very end. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I believe it was October 5th. And, um, which is funny because I, I was like, huh, there's not going to, is there going to be bucks on this property? Because Two ri- one and two ridges down were hunted earlier in the week. So I was like, I, I know nobody's attacked this ridge yet because they're they're going to be busted walking up the hill if they don't do the big one-mile loop. Oh, okay. And I ended up doing that one-mile loop, and I was like, I, I had a feeling that, you know, all that pressure from the other two ridges would stack the third ridge. So I got a fresh, fresh hunt first, a fresh virgin sit on that, that, uh, ridge due to using um, other people's pressure, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, and I think that's another point. I haven't talked about it on this podcast before, but a lot of folks will will look at pressure and kind of the, the, the mindset is, well, hey, this area has been pressured. Just go somewhere else because deer have, the deer have been blown out of here. But you can really use that hunter pressure to your advantage, especially yeah. if they're doing what you're saying. They're, they're blowing out the two ridges down. Well, then that yeah. just leaves one more ridge in the area, you know, or a handful of others where those deer that were on the first couple of ridges are now pushed into a more concentrated area. And you've yeah. got a lot better, uh, a lot better density of deer than maybe you would have a few days earlier. So you can really use yeah. people to your advantage. And uh, on the specific public spot that I love uh, to hunt in southern Wisconsin, man, I do that all the time. It's, it's a very heavily used public area. It just gets pounded mm-hmm. by like everybody and i have uh, i i saw deer most like every sit almost and i had mature buck encounters on like half of my sits uh last fall and it was because i was keying in on what other people were doing and, and literally yeah. i'm hunting based on what the dog walkers are doing based on what the pheasant hunters yeah. are doing and based on what any other deer hunters are in there doing and i just did you know i just reacted to whatever those guys were doing and boom, they're, they're deer in my lap every time. 
Yeah. And most guys aren't thinking like how we're talking out in this podcast. So like a lot of your average Joe guys will just go out there and sit. And the two ridges and the, the two kind of draws that I decided to pass up on that day uh, that were hunted earlier in the week, I know that the wind swirl in there because it's more of a shallow bowl. It's not so much a steep thing where your wind's just going to drop down. It's, it's a shallow thing where your, your scent just spins all around due to wind and therm. Yeah. So I, I felt a lot more safer going to the ridge that I went to because it was the steepest slope. And that's another thing that we haven't even talked about is how the the different pitches of these slopes can change how thermals and wind work. Together. Yeah, let, let's talk um, about that just a little bit because so after I recorded with Parker, um, I know I'm going to be hunting like four different states this year. It's, it's going to be crazy. It's going to yeah. be an awesome fall. Looking forward to it. But I'm going to be hunting some real hill country kind of stuff uh, down in Georgia, which, you know, it's got some pretty okay. steep terrain. And I'm, I'm locating all of these thermal hubs, and I don't really have a reason to, but I'm picking the thermal hubs that I want to go scout um, based off of which ones have the most pitch to them, if that makes sense. Like right. the, kind, the ones that are kind of a, a little bit gentler, I'm, I'm kind of, those are secondary to me. It seems like the steeper yeah. ones would be better just because there's more thermal activity there. So tell me about your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a good good call. However, with, with thermal hubs, they're so weird because each thermal hub can vary where it's being used about. Yep. Uh, something that I call it, I call a low, lower thermal hub and I call it a thermal higher or a higher thermal hub. Um, and what I mean by that is Sometimes you have where you got a point that comes off the top of the ridge here, point, point, and they all meet up in this lower spot. Um, that's what I call a thermal or a lower thermal hub. Then you got your higher thermal hub is where the ridges almost kind of connect in the area. And that's where you get a lot of swirl. Um, and, and I've noticed those have been really hard to hunt no matter what, pitch of the ridge it is um that's why you gotta really focus on those calm calm days and i've noticed that bucks tend to love to bed in those areas because the wind just does nothing but swirl and swirl and swirl and they can just they can smell you no matter what you do um i i would say just go in go in try try and figure out the best you can and you need a little luck. I'm not a huge <laughs> luck guy, but in that type of situation, you need, need a luck. And I think even in steep pitch situations, it's it's tough. Hey, thermal hubs are a gamble every time you get yeah. in them. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. So let talk to me then a bit about kind of how the wind and the thermals interact differently based on that pitch. Let's kind of – I took us down a thermal yeah. hub rabbit hole, but – yeah. Yeah. Th- th- yeah. Thermal hubs are so tough, but I'd say in terms of uh, pitch on like ridge size and whatnot, um, something that is a little bit more steeper will be more forgiving for your scent to get down the, down the ridge without your scent getting in the thermal hub. And that's where I try and get up as high as I can 
in a tree, especially in the hills around here. And I'm assuming in Georgia, you'll face the same thing where you'll need to get up as high as you can. So your scent pulls over uh, the deer where they can't smell you in that thermal tunnel. Um, however, I've noticed with gentler slopes, that gets to be very, very frustrating. Because okay. it's not steep enough to where your wind can just blow over unless you get like 40 or 50 feet up in the air, which... Is that real realistic? Besides, I think John Eberhardt. Yeah, there's there's no way in the <laughs> world I'm doing that. That is not happening. Yeah. I'm terrified of heights. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, me too. So I, I get to about 25 or so, and I'm like, ugh. Dude, I, I get to a, I get to 11 feet, and I start my hands my hands start tingling. So. <laughs> yeah. So so those shallower pitched ridges get very frustrating because it it's hard to get your scent to go over that ridge. Um, I've had it before where y- y- you try so hard to get up and your, your scent just spins on those shallow ridges. So I'd say if you can just find something with a little bit more steepness and it might be not the exact spot, but if you don't want to be busted cause you know, the deer's going to wind you try and find a little bit steeper pitch ridge to set up on cause it'll be a lot more predictable of where your wind and where your scent's going to go. And, um, yeah, I've seen a lot more success doing that. The, the shallower, shallower hill type stuff. You just need, I, I like hunting those when the wind's really strong, if that makes yeah. sense. That way it's just pushing your wind in one way. Yep. Uh, the buck that I shot last year right here, um, it ended up being a shallower ridge, but I ended up using a cut to my advantage that pushed the deer up and had my wind blowing towards uh, towards the, the south, I believe. And that cut made them go above me where the wind was strong enough to, to shoot down the ridge. So I kind of manipulated that spot by using that cut, that deep cut, to push them up the ridge a little bit. More. Yeah, yeah. Man, I, I, haven't, uh, I haven't hunted hill country in Wisconsin yet, but I had an opportunity to go out and do some habitat work on a private farm uh, out in the Driftless region, and... Uh, man, seeing the way that those hills and finger ridges work mm-hmm. to manipulate and influence the deer movement is unlike anything I've ever seen. Like it, it's, yeah. it is wild. Uh, yeah. I mean, the terrain is, it can be pretty harsh, <laughs> but uh, what it does for deer movement is, is fantastic. So, uh, well, man, my head is swirling when it comes to thermals right now. Uh, I've got a lot to go think about um, for the guy that says, Hey, this is the year I want to pay attention to thermals and I want to learn them well uh, so that I can add this to my toolkit, basically, right? What is like one main piece of advice that you would give them as far as like figuring all of this stuff out? Yeah, I, honestly, I go back to how we started off the podcast. Um, cold air sinks, warm air rises. Okay. Simple as that. All right, sweet. And carry some milkweed. I'll throw my, I'll throw yeah, mine in there weed. too. Carry some milkweed with you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, man, very good. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Where can folks go to find more from you? Cause I know you guys got some, uh, got some podcast content. You've got some video content. Yeah. So I have my YouTube channel, like, uh, Josh said earlier, it's, uh, the red beard predators. It's just, uh, me and a couple buddies. One of the buddies really loves walleye fishing. So there's, content from the Bay of Green Bay on there and uh, another buddy who likes the pheasant hunt and 
we got white tails season and uh we'll be posting plenty of stuff from Wisconsin on there then we also have the outdoor panel podcast where it's just me and a couple buddies BSing throughout uh, fishing and hunting season so yeah. sweet all right well thanks man appreciate you coming on the show and uh look forward to connecting with you again thanks right on Josh appreciate your time and that is all for this week's episode thank you so much for tuning in thanks to Eric for coming on the show go check out Red Bearded Predators on youtube you can also check out their podcast the outdoor panel podcast looking forward to talking with him more uh really hoping to get him involved over on the wisconsin sportsman podcast uh here as we get closer to the fall and we start talking about deer reports and what people are seeing around the state of wisconsin big thanks to our partners as we sign off here tacticam huntworth deer lab go support the partners that support this show and if you're looking for more great outdoor-related content, head over to thesportsmansempire.com where you'll find this podcast, my other podcast, The Wisconsin Sportsman, and a whole host of other great podcasts. 